Blog Talk Radio. Pass 
and an uh, interesting interview with him on Tyler and Cyrus. He made it sound like that he hasn't been hearing a lot from Alabama, but at the same time, apparently, sometime between now and the announcement, there may be a visit planned to Tuscaloosa with Juwan Pass. Am I understanding this right, Drew? You know, there, from what I understand, there's one on the books for the 13th, which is right after the Elite 11 and uh, the in the opening, and then, of course, right before the announcement. Could that, you know, not happen? Yes. I mean, it's very possible. Could it happen? Yes. I in my opinion, I've been, you know, asked this question several times in the last couple of days, but I'm not so sure it's been completely decided if Alabama is going to take Juwan Pass. And the thing that I thought was in, very interesting with Rodney Orr, he's a big, uh, great friend of this show, with that interview, is that he told Rodney um, that it was basically Alabama, Auburn, and Virginia Tech when I had been under the impression it was Louisville. So obviously where his brother is now playing, but – and it sounds sounds like Louisville is out of it right now, but I thought that was interesting. Also, uh, not the kind of news we like to report, but we, we can't hold it back. Former nose guard and uh, very briefly a Houston Texan, Brandon Ivory, uh, arrested in Tuscaloosa and uh, charged with, uh, I believe, breaking and entering and armed robbery. Yes. So not good. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what the backstory is there. Uh, any, anything you can shed on that, George? I, I just know what Matt Zena at reported is that his agent has been adamant in saying he will be 100% exonerated and was not at fault. But this is all I'll say, and I can't really go into specifics, but when I was told this yesterday about Brandon Ivory and I confirmed that it was in Tuscaloosa and not in Memphis, it doesn't really matter where it is, but I wanted to know the location. But based upon someone that uh, knew his whereabouts and some things that he was involved in off the field during his time at Alabama, I am not surprised this happened. I don't want to say this for sure, but i got a funny feeling he made at least one uh, appearance in Club 21. Did he not? Oh, yes. Okay, well. And for those of you who don't know what that uh, nickname stands for, Club 21 Stands for the 21 days that you get to spend at Bradford, uh, courtesy of Coach Satan, if you fail more than one drug test while you're on football scholarship. So there has been some of that going on, but it's not rampant, but I believe Mr. Ivy was a participant in that exercise. Now, here's some good news. Uh, actually, a couple of pieces of good news. I'll take them one at a time. For this first one, I'm going to bring in Thomas Watts for the simple fact that he was once an academic tutor at UA. Uh, it was announced that 79 Alabama students earned SEC first-year academic accolades. And when I say students, I mean student athletes. They were named to the 2015 SEC first-year academic honor roll. And uh, that was announced by Commissioner Greg Sankey. Uh, Alabama had uh, women's track and field and cross-country rowing football. Uh, they each had 12, 11, and 10 honorees. The Crimson Tide gymnastics team had four. The rowing team had 11. Volleyball had six. So, uh, Thomas, it appears that the uh, tutoring part of things down there is still going pretty well. I think so. I know, having been a part of that program, I know how much time and money that the athletic department, not just football, but the athletic department invests in it. And, you know, there's this constant... They're not. They're they're athletes or athletes first and students second, and there's this back and forth about that. But 
I fully admit I'm a graduate student and I value academics. So, you know, kudos to everybody, every athlete or every everyone really that can do that well in the classroom. And for the next little topic I'm going to bring up, I'll, I'll get Drew's input since this young man uh, is from the 256 where Drew resides up there in the Huntsville area. The SEC conference is bringing a new element to its annual football media days this year as each school will send at least one student athlete with a compelling story outside of his athletic endeavors. The conference is calling this initiative Beyond the Field, Stories of the SEC. Now, each school will have one honoree for Alabama. It is senior middle linebacker Reggie Ragland, who has participated in community service work at the local VA hospital and also returned to Alabama for his senior season despite being grading out high as an NFL prospect last year. He cited his unfinished work both on the field and in the classroom as reasons for his return to Alabama. So I think he probably would have come to media days anyway as the captain of the defense, the leader of the defense. But a uh, pretty cool little initiative they're doing there, Drew, where uh, Reggie gets to talk about his off-the-field uh, ways that he serves the community. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And uh, Reggie, much like uh, his former uh, college – or, excuse me, his uh, – high school teammate and obviously uh they went to college gone to college together but you know he played uh, high school basketball with uh, levi randolph and levi was an academic all-american and, and reggie has done a really good job off the field as a student has been academic all sec and uh, really done the job there in the classroom and has not been any uh sort of trouble off the field at all not been in any kind of situations and uh has and reggie he hasn't redshirted but he still had to come a long way. I mean, he he, uh, he he's earned everything he's gotten. He's had to, you know, earn the trust of the coaching staff, you know, continue to work and grind and get better. And basically, uh, when I saw him in high school, uh, by the time he was a sophomore, I felt like he had the chance to be an SEC caliber tight end. Was not as convinced he was physical enough or uh, had the mentality to play defense, but he really started coming into his own as a senior. And then at Alabama – uh, he just continued to get better. I mean, he had to grind for a couple of years, but the light finally came on last spring, and he, he, he uh, used that to catapult himself and have, a, as you said, Kerry, a great year where he was considered uh, really no worse than a second-round draft pick last year and decided uh, to come back after meeting with his family and, and realizing what he could accomplish as a senior if he continued to get better. And I just think he's what's right with the program. And, Alabama, when he first came on the scene as a freshman at their football camp and flashed his athleticism, they thought he had a chance to be a, a player of this caliber. And Nick Saban and Kirby Smart were correct. And Reggie's, uh, you know, he, he's had his uh, trials on the field and he's been chewed out more than one time. But, I mean, he just continued to work. And, again, he's always uh, provided a great example off the field. And, and now he has a chance to finish strong and, uh, another good friend of mine in the radio business, Ryan Fowler, has been on Tide 99.1, has been rating the top players, uh, you know, in, in Alabama football history at a certain position. And I was asked about Reggie as far as linebackers go. And I don't think right now you could put him – I didn't put him in my top dozen that's ever played the position. There have been so many great players at Alabama. But if he has another year, you know, like he had last year and looks as good as he did in the spring – then I don't think you know he becomes a top ten draft pick, you know, a first round draft pick, top fifteen pick in the top half of the first round. He'll go down in Alabama history as one of the greats at the position, and he's just come a long way and great to see. And uh, he's been a definite hero in this community. 
and let me jump in real quick, Carrie. Um, Murph Baldwin, my colleague on Two Deep Zone, and I have right. talked about Reggie a lot, and we both feel he's going to be the best inside linebacker in the country this year. He might have been it last year, but he's certainly a leading candidate this year. Yes, he's, no doubt. He, he is that good, just to give fans a, a perspective on this young man. And, hey, just really quickly, guys, this is a slightly off topic, but I want to say uh, that I, I just want to thank the good Lord that uh, Murph Baldwin's okay. I just uh, got word not even ten minutes ago before coming on this show. Uh, first of all, I'm lucky to be here right now. Uh, this past Monday, I was in a car accident uh, coming, you know, after my radio show on 97.7 The Zone uh, on, uh, on, in, a, in a mall property called Madison Square Mall, I got T-boned by someone, and my car is it's pretty much done. But I, I'm I'm still sore, but I'm I'm glad to be here and, and thanking Lord I'm okay. And uh, Murph Baldwin was on my show yesterday, or actually today we recorded the interview yesterday. But uh, he just sent me some photos and stuff, and uh, he was in a fender bender himself. And is uh, very, very lucky to have walked away. His car is definitely seeing its final day as well. But it's just kind of ironic we've had it happen to each other the same week. But just thanking the Lord, Murph is okay. Uh, he's going to be fine. And, uh, you know, he'll be on this show again, I'm sure, in the future and my radio show. But just we we we, we, we don't want to take things for granted, uh, this being the week of, the, uh, of this country's birth. But, you know, we're just glad to be here, Murph and I. And, Again, you, life is short, and sometimes you just got to thank the Lord that uh, sometimes he watches over you and uh, allows you to, to come out of situations uh, that uh, could have been much, much worse. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Look, I, I'm very thrilled to hear that both of y'all made it. I'm sorry y'all got in wrecks, but I'm very thrilled that the Lord provided for both of y'all. And i tell you what, uh, A, I'm glad to hear y'all both still around, and B, I think I'm going to hold off a couple months before coming on the zone again. So. But anyway, I'll tell you what I thought you were going to say, Drew, when you were talking about where it happened. I thought you were going to say it was coming out of the station parking lot because that's some crazy crap going on that road, too. But, but anyway. Yeah, man, you got to be away because they come around that corner, that blind spot coming out of our parking lot, definitely at a high rate of speed as well. And uh, you just got to do, do some defensive driving. Uh, but again, uh, we're just happy, uh, just thanking the Lord that I'm okay and Murph's all right. We're both a little sore and a little worse for wear, but it could have been much, much worse. But uh, definitely, uh, and Thomas is, knows Murph very, very well. They do two deep zone uh, every week with some lively SEC debate. And, you know, Murph came on my show to break down the Georgia Bulldogs, who I think are going to be the, the favorite in the Eastern Division. But you're right, Kerry, you, you've got to watch it because you never know. Uh, I, as I told Murph, I said I've been skittish the rest of this week, driving a little bit, <laughs> trying to be aware of every, even more aware of everything around me. But it's a, it can be a scary thing. Oh, no doubt about it. Now, I'm glad you mentioned Georgia, Drew, because uh, listening to the radio, reading Twitter, scanning the internet, there's been some talk this week about one of the national sports books and the over/unders they came out that you could bet on for teams' win totals. Uh, Georgia's was nine, Alabama's was nine and a half, Ohio State's was eleven. So basically, they're saying Ohio State's going to go undefeated. But yeah, well, their schedule's a joke. It is, but with Alabama nine and a half, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, take the under," because Alabama has six losable games on their schedule, and they'll probably split those and go nine and three. I don't agree with that. Uh, I think Alabama will go at least ten and two. But I thought it was interesting, you know, to see what the people that make a living do of this thing. They put Alabama 9.5. Uh, 
And I'm pretty sure they put Georgia at nine. So they're saying those are the two best teams in the conference. And I I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that's going to be the SEC championship game. Uh, I believe they had Auburn at 8.5. But uh, they had Tennessee at eight. And I think LSU was eight or 7.5. Might have been eight. But uh, the, the people that do this for a living realize what a grind SEC is and what a joke the Big Ten is. This is what I took out of it. Oh, without question. Uh, the, I was I've been hearing a lot of national uh, uh, writers and media per- people saying that now the SEC has to come to grips with the fact that the landscape is changing and the Big Ten is almost every bit as good. That's crap. I'll just go ahead and say that. Uh, they can jut out their chest because Ohio State had a horseshoe up their ass and beat Alabama, and uh, they won the game. There's no doubt about it. They earned it. They were the better team that day. But they act like it was by three touchdowns. It was by one touchdown. And Alabama was throwing into the end zone to tie it after an Urban Meyer bonehead coaching decision uh, from uh, the coaching Jesus that everybody's basically anointed him as again. But uh, – if, you know, obviously uh, Alabama's uh, going to have a very talented football team, and uh, so will Ohio State. But there's no doubt that there's not the depth in the Big Ten. I mean, I'm sorry um, when you when you when you when you win your uh, Big Ten championship game 59 to nothing, and obviously Alabama won 42 to 14, and and now they want to crow and say, well, Indiana beat Missouri, yada yada yada. Well, uh, yes, they did, and I understand all that. And I know Wisconsin beat an uninterested Auburn team in their bowl game. And, and the Big Ten had some success. But because you have to do it over a a, a several-year period of time. It doesn't happen in one year that all of a sudden the Big Ten such a powerhouse. Now, you know, Jim Harbaugh, even though he doesn't like interviews, is, is going to turn uh, Michigan around. There's no doubt about that. And if I and if I were Ohio State, that's what I would be worried about. Because right now, if once once uh, with that rivalry, once Jim Harbaugh turns that around, then it's going to become much harder uh, for you know the Buckeyes to get to the national championship game, and they will have a much tougher road, much like Alabama does with the SEC. But again, I, I, Ohio State—they're not challenging themselves with their schedule. Their schedule—they they should go undefeated with that schedule. But, uh, I mean, we'll see if they can. But I'll say this, they never admit it, but they don't want to see Alabama again because we all know what Urban Meyer's uh, track record is in rematches, and it ain't too good. And Saban's is real good. Oh, yeah. But, uh, We've already sent him to Nerve, uh, or Alabama, pardon my, pardon my French, has already sent him to uh, rehab slash um, spending more time with his family for a year because he couldn't handle it. Well, that's, that's a matter of record. But I have to say this, too. You know, Urban's pulled in top five classes every year, and he's got a yeah. lot of talent on that team. You're right yeah. about their schedule, but my point is this. Uh, with, with the talent he has amassed and with the schedule they play, I, I don't even think you're going out on a limb to say that them going to the 14 playoff this year is as much a lock as the sun coming up tomorrow. No, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, they have a lot of talent. I mean, they were a young team. They were the four seed last year. They got hot. But, you know, now let's see if they can handle success. Can they handle, you know, being the target? Uh, they, we all know what happened to Herb after 2006. The Gators well, didn't handle it very well. 
And uh, Tim Tebow won the Heisman. Yes, he did. But they lost several games. And so we'll see what happens. We'll see if they can handle it, uh, if they don't blow a game or two. Uh, but, again, they shouldn't. They've got a very talented football team. And uh, then he came back. They won the championship in 2008 after a knockdown drag out with Alabama. But, again, then from that point forward, it was all downhill, and Urban left the Florida program in a wreck. Let's see if he can continue to sustain success at Ohio State. He should be able to, but it is a matter of record that he has not yet. So, you know, you, everybody wants to anoint him uh, like he's the greatest football coach that, the, that God ever created, but let's see if he is. And, I mean, he's done a nice job resuscitating his career at Ohio State in a push league but let's see if he can continue to sustain it. And now that the league is going to get tougher with uh, with uh, Jim Harbaugh, let's see if he continues to dominate his own conference. We'll see. He may very well. I mean, he's he's got an excellent track record wherever he's gone, you know, but that's neither here nor there. But, again, he, they, they should be the favorite going into this year with their schedule and with who they return. I mean, they're very, very talented. Another piece of good news this week, Drew, uh, the annual Auburn to Alabama commitment flip in the form of Winona's Quinnen Williams, uh, 6'4", 260, three-star, but a guy that with a good senior year can become a four-star. Uh, a lifelong Auburn fan, uh, they thought they had him. He decommitted. They've been talking about the process. He's now a tighter and apparently a tighter for life. Tell us about as a player and as a person, Quentin Williams, he fits in when he's high in Birmingham. Well, he's about six four and a half, two hundred and sixty five pounds. Really good all around defensive end. I think he's someone to lend up two eighty five. You know, with his hand in the dirt, of course. Pretty good pass rusher. I think a physical kid. Somebody that the Alabama coaching staff, Mario Cristobal. I'll give Lance Lance Thompson discovered the kid and did a good job once he was uh, banished to the Plains of getting him committed. But Mario Cristobal being one of the best recruiters in the country, they continued to evaluate Quinn, really liked what they saw, thought they could develop him into a great football player. Uh, they were really, they did really a good job recruiting him, getting him on campus for the four-day camp in late May and early June. He was there for four days. He would basically grown up an Auburn fan, but didn't really know much about Alabama's program and, and Coach Saban and Bo Davis, and once he experienced all that, he started having serious second thoughts about his commitment to Auburn and basically wanted to flip. Mario Cristobal did a great job of flipping him, and I just think, you know, you hate to try to compare players, um, you know, and I've Khalid Kareem, you know, you compared him to Jonathan Allen. I don't know that you can compare um, uh, Quentin Williams. You, you might say Ed Stinson even though Ed was more 230 pounds coming out of high school. But I think Quinnen is – or maybe you could say Dal, Dalvin Tomlinson, who's become a, a very solid player. But I think Quinnen is a low-risk kid, a good – you know, good, he's going to be a good student. Um, he's, a, he, he's an excellent young man off the field. And then on the field, he's really solid. Now, is he Rashawn Gary? No, but I think he's a, a high-quality kid in state that Alabama wanted from Birmingham and – you need to have core guys like that uh, from the state of Alabama that understand the inner workings of your program and understand, you know, the rivalry between Alabama and Auburn and and want to be a part, uh, you know, of the Crimson Tide. Okay. And uh, briefly, because we're going to discuss this a little bit next hour 
uh, at 815 Central when we hear from A.P. Stedham of BamaMag.com. His first and probably not last appearance on BAM's radio. A.P. is going to talk with us a little bit about basketball recruiting. Nice. He's also he's also going to talk with us about a campaign he's working on to help King of the Snake Saber get into the Hall of Fame. And, Drew, I'm starting to slowly change my opinion, so don't jump on me about this until next hour. Uh, but anyway, uh, I want to talk with you, Drew, just real briefly because uh, – Earlier this week, Ava Johnson came on the SEC Summer Men's Basketball uh, Teleconference and announced that he is going to be adding a wing to his team, and it might well be a graduate transfer. We've sort of got this narrowed down to two guys. Uh, one of them averaged four points and two rebounds. One of them averaged 12 points and one rebound. Both of them are in the 6'6 six, six range, one's 210, one's 228. The one that only averaged four points a game uh, played at New Mexico last year as a junior, uh, and his name is Arthur Edwards. The one that averaged 12 points and one rebound and is a little bit heftier, 6'6", 228, played at Marshall last year, and uh, his name is Sean Smith. Apparently, they both have interest in Alabama, and I think Edwards has already visited. Uh, any any rumblings at all of which one of these guys it might be, if either one of them, or maybe neither one of them? Nothing concrete, Gary. Uh, obviously, uh, what it sounded like uh, with the with the young man from Marshall, he had a he was going to go to Nevada and had a and didn't get cleared medically, and so a lot of people um, kind of assumed it might be him since. Uh, Avery Johnson was saying that they're gonna they needed to get something cleared up and get something done, but I mean it's gonna be interesting to see if uh, if it, if it ended up being Smith. But again, uh, there, there's a lot, been a lot of uh, speculation. There's even been another name, uh, or there, and then there's been more speculation about Edward Arthur Edwards, and the, and they're talking about it could be him uh, that he visited in late April uh, from New Mexico State. So. Uh, maybe I mean, in, but you're right. I mean, Smith put up much better numbers. He was he what six six, about 230 pounds. Looked like he's a, about a four, close to a 40 percent three point shooter, um, and he averaged I believe 12.0 points per game. Uh, and he does have Sean Smith does have a Bama offer, so we will see. I don't know if it'll be both those guys. Now there's even the, there's even been a report uh, in the last few days that there might be a 6'9 post player available from San Diego State and Steve Fisher. So it seems like all, every every day almost new names are popping up that are fifth-year transfers. But it's obvious from what Avery's saying, he's really confident that they're going to get a fifth-year transfer of some kind, and he feels like it's going to be a wing player. Well, the roster on RollTide.com has been updated to show Kobe Eubanks. Yeah. I had several people – uh, text and tweet me to find out if he officially enrolled this week or not. But I just know for a fact they have his LOI and he's on the roster. Doesn't have a number assigned to him yet. Have there been any rumblings at all? If he's been spotted on campus just yet, he's got until the end of the day to uh, Monday to really enroll. Well, I, I actually spoke with Kobe on my show uh, Monday uh, for about 15, 20 minutes. Uh, he was on uh, on Talking Ball and he told me that he would be enrolling this week. He didn't give me a date, but I asked him, I said, so you're going to be uh, very soon uh, enrolling for summer school. And he said, actually, I'll be leaving this week. And so he will be officially, if not at the end of the, I, my suspicions are he's probably coming down this weekend, Kerry. Uh, the first day of classes is Monday. But uh, definitely Kobe Eubanks is, 
and that's much probably the reason they've already updated the roster and they haven't put a number yet. But he is going to be uh, at the University of Alabama when workouts when uh, are begin resume on Monday. He he will be uh, with the team Monday. Yeah, and you know one of the problems they've been having because of the injuries to guys like Shannon Hale and Riley Nard, they haven't really had a, a true five on five that they yeah. can work out. And getting Kobe in there is going to help that dramatically. I got a funny feeling, Drew, you know, pending who the graduate transfer is, if there is one. I got a funny feeling that by the time it gets to late December, early January, Kobe might be starting at the two yard. Oh, no doubt. I, I, I think it's the minute he uh, gets on, starts working out with the team, he's going to be the best three point shooter on the team. And he's 6'5, 215 pounds, solidly built. His coach was also on my show, Chad Myers, and said that he's really improved his overall game, become a much better passer, uh, become better at posting up. You know, he, he had to do some different things. Even though he was playing with four other D1 uh, signees at Elevate, uh, he, he like by the third game, as Coach Myers said, he became the guy. And he averaged carry against uh, the Oak Hill, St. Thomas Moores, some junior colleges in, Flor- in Florida, some uh, top-level competition for Elevate. He led them to a 25 and four record, and that he averaged 24 points a game. So he's uh, he's had he had a 37-point game, hit six or seven threes a few times in games. So there's no doubt that he's going to be an excellent offensive player, and it shows uh, the excellent recruiting ability of Avery Johnson and Bob Simon that they were able to procure someone like Kobe. And, and become and not and, and didn't take the job until April, and so uh, they were fortunate that he was still on the board, but that they were also able to get involved and out recruit Oregon and Georgia and you know Kansas and some really good schools to be able to get someone and uh, of his caliber to come in and make an impact. And as Kobe told me, he just trusts you know Bob Simon and Avery Johnson, and he believes in Avery Johnson's vision and the recruiting ability and, and the pieces that. He's going to be, he's added this year and that he's going to add in the future. And uh, it's kind of funny. I do think Bruce Pearl is still a force to be reckoned with, but ever since Avery Johnson came on the scene, not been a whole lot heard from Bruce Pearl. No, I've heard that he's calling jocks every week, begging for a spot to come on the air. I mean, he's kind of the forgotten man right now. Plus, another thing about Bruce Pearl is he is apparently constantly at arms with the compliance guy at Auburn. So yes. That is I, I, I really, you know, I think when this coming basketball season concludes, this is personal opinion with a little bit of facts mixed in, okay? I think that when this coming basketball season concludes around March of, of 2016, I feel like if Josh Pastner has another NIT-type season at Memphis, I think they're going to be blowing through Pearl's cell phone up, dude. Yeah, that could easily happen. Uh I've never felt like he'd be at Auburn long term if he can, if he turned them around. He started to. He did a nice job this year. Obviously, he didn't beat Alabama either time, but they finished really strong. You know, great year out of KT Harrell, who's now with the Philadelphia 76ers in the summer league, and obviously uh, they went made to the semifinals of the SEC tournament. Had a lot of momentum, but Alabama did what they had to do. They made, went out and made the kind of hire to to get some energy in their program, and now it's going to be some in-state battles. I mean, they're obviously going to be battling each other for recruits. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But I really like what I'm hearing, you know, what Avery Johnson's done early. Now, he didn't get Josh Langford, 
but again, like we said on the show last week, uh, Josh is uh, uh, very, still very high on Bob Simon and where he thinks that Alabama's program is going. And uh, I don't think there's any doubt. And with the way the roster could wind up, you know, constituting itself, Kerry, you know, the Tide, you know, could be a pretty solid basketball team. I mean, I don't think they're going to be a lot to make the NCAA tournament, but they're going to have an opportunity to make it. And when the last and when last season ended, and with the uncertainty of the Anthony Grant situation, and with the way recruiting uh, was going, yeah, they had signed two two players, and looked like they were going to get days on Ingram, and which they did. But just the, with the lack of buzz in the program, it didn't look good at all uh, going into next year. But I think that's completely uh, changed. It has, and really, you know. <laughs> You hate to go into a year going, hey, first-year coach, first-year system, bunch of freshmen, we'll give them a pass if they make an IP, that's fine, it's the first year. But they don't see it that way. They, and I'll tell you this, if, if they can get through the season relatively injury-free, I think they'll be at the worst due a bubble team since they play. Well, and I want to see someone – I want to see – and it's already been apparent by what Avery Johnson has, the tidbits he's given the media, which is already a hundred times more than the previous coach uh, ever gave. But when he talked about working with the guys during the off-season workouts and offensive spacing, uh, passing, uh, obviously moving the basketball, offensive flow, you're basically starting at ground zero. Because let's, let's be honest, and you have to be, when you look back on it now, beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt, for six years, Alabama got piss poor coaching on the offensive side of the basketball. I mean, zero. How you can pay a staff what they were paid, and Anthony Grant, $2 million, for the garbage they put out on the basketball court is a crime. It was worse than Mark Godfrey at the end. Who would have ever thought that? It was worse than David Hobbs. Whoever would have thought that? It was a complete, unmitigated disaster. And they had to get rid of Anthony Grant. He's a great guy, nice person, but he's a lieutenant, not a general. He's a mid-major basketball coach. I'll give huge kudos to my next-door neighbor, Matt Schmitz, who called it in the second year and said the guy will never win big, and he did not. You see what Trevor Lacey did under our previous coach at NC State. In my humble opinion, I know Trevor's 24 years old and he wanted to move on, much like James Robinson years ago at Alabama. I think Trevor was going to be a great college player, period, and he should have stayed at NC State another year to be the guy. But – we saw what he could do, given some freedom at NC State. He averaged 17 points a game and took his team to the Sweet 16. Uh, obviously, uh, the, the problem was Anthony Grant. Now, Trevor had some issues, but the big problem was the head coach. And thank God he's gone. He's gone. Well, interesting that you bring him up because Anthony Grant is now officially an assistant coach for Billy Donovan, head coach of Oklahoma City Thunder. And Good for luck. the first part of the uh, – some believe he will be uh, reunited with one Levi Randolph. Yes, he will. Hey, really happy for Levi for getting that opportunity uh, with a great organization. Uh, obviously, uh, Anthony Grant will probably do a good job as an assistant in the NBA uh, with those guys. He did a great job at Florida as an assistant. We'll say that. 
Uh, I think it's going to be an uphill climb for Levi, but it's already been confirmed that he's had two high-level European offers and will get a chance to play overseas, if not in the NBA. And he's a great kid. We've already talked about it, academic All-American. and He's earned everything he's got. And then Trevor Lacey, he will be with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Great opportunity there because they're going to have a great team. They're going to need shooters. They're going to need role players. So he'll have a chance to maybe earn a spot on that roster at some point in time. It's going to be tough to do it, uh, you know, in, in the summer and through and get and get and he might get invited to camp, but it's going to be really hard. He's probably going to have to toil in the D League or in Europe for a little bit. But if he could, if they, if he's in the D League and they have his rights, he could end up helping Cleveland as a knockdown shooter. Uh, no doubt about that, a high IQ basketball guy. But, you know, both of them are getting a chance to continue to play, which you really like. And uh, both of them are, uh, I think, great guys and uh, did things the right way. Uh, when they were at Alabama, you know, Trevor Lacey never got in any trouble. So, again, uh, th- th- there were some things said when he left. But, but in hindsight, everybody was frustrated because – just frustrated with the program as a whole. And, again, it's obvious Trevor made the right move for himself. And Levi finished strong in his career, which everybody wanted to see. And uh, just good luck to both guys. Uh, you wish they could have finished together, but uh, now they both get a chance to play professional basketball and continue to do that. And it's really that's still a great thing because it's a very small percentage of guys that ever get a chance to continue it at the professional level, and both will. They will. We'll have a shot. We'll see if they get invited to the actual training camp. If they do, that's a major win for either one of them. And oh, yeah. Levi, I mentioned he's going to be playing with uh, part of the summer with Oklahoma City. But he's also going to be playing part of the summer with. Uh, the uh, I want to say the Raptors. Uh, I I'm not sure it's Toronto. I think Levi is going to be. I know they said Cleveland, and I wanted to say maybe Utah, but I'll have to go back and double check that. But you're right. He's going to be playing. Uh, he's going to. It may be the Raptors. He's going to be playing with two different squads this summer. These are like two week seasons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, one's usually in Vegas, and one's in Orlando. And sadly for us Atlanta fans, the Raptors gobbled up Demari Carroll yesterday. <laughs> yeah. so. That, that really didn't help Levi because they're kind of similar players. But, you know, Le- Levi with the, uh, the the Thunder might be a possibility if he's willing to go to the D-League. But I think if Eli, if Levi doesn't make the roster or doesn't get invited to training, I think he'll go ahead and take his European offer because those guys over there making good six-figure salaries and, you know, it's not taxed and he's just getting a vehicle and a free place to live. So I think Levi will be playing pro ball next year. But my guess is Europe. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to shake out for Trevor. Uh, he may get invited to the rec- to the training camp of Cleveland. I don't know. It's something how he does in the, in the summer league. Uh, I just think he's an okay defensive player and great shooter. I'm not sure he's got faith enough to play in the, in the NBA. I'm much more like an occasional 10-day contract if he goes into the big league. I think Trevor would do very well overseas if he decides to pursue that. And, you know, one thing that is in Trevor's favor from a personnel standpoint, it appeared a week ago, that former Alabama guard and uh, NBA veteran Mo Williams was close to a deal with Cleveland, but all of a sudden Memphis has jumped in, and now it looks like Memphis is going to get Mo Williams to be, you know, playing not too far from where he grew up in Mississippi. So that actually helps Trevor if Mo Williams does not sign with Cleveland. Yeah, it really does. And looks like Mo is going to be with a good team regardless, so you're happy for him. He's put in some good years in the NBA, and uh, he was a second-round pick coming out after his sophomore year, 45th overall. And, He's been a very solid pro, and I was right. Kerry just did some checking. Levi will be with Utah after uh, after spending a couple weeks with Oklahoma City, but 
you just hope he can get invited to a camp somewhere. Uh, you're right about Trevor with his athletic ability a little bit. You know, he's kind of a below-the-rim guy. That kind of hurt him, I think, in the draft process. But I still think he's got a chance to, to be a, a a role player in the NBA. Uh, but he's just going to have to work. Same way with Levi. and uh, They're going to have to take the road, you know, less traveled. Uh, but, you know, but, and, and it's less traveled as far as succeeding because it's tough when you're not drafted. But it's possible, I mean, to do. David Benoit did it for the University of Alabama and played several years with the Utah Jazz so and became a valuable starter on just some of Jerry Sloan's better team. So it, it, and then you talked about the overseas situation. I believe he's still playing, and Richard Hendricks, he spent his whole career overseas in Israel and Spain, and, and same way with Kennedy Winston, and I know they both made some really good money over there. Uh, as uh, did Bobby and, Steele. and Ronald Steele, yes. Uh, Ronald Steele and Richard have actually played against each other quite a bit. And Ronald, as, as you remember, he came to the press conference for Avery Johnson. It looked like he may be getting ready to retire. But, again, you're right. He's uh, he's had a good run as well. Yes. And uh, I wanted to get back before I forget about what we're talking about. You mentioned that there was a potential transfer from San Diego State. Uh, would that have been – do you remember the name? I do not. Uh, I, I did not get a name. It was could just it be something. Tyler Spencer. It could be. I mean, uh, because it was it was someone. Uh, it was I was on a message board and someone kind of mentioned it a couple of days ago. Didn't really haven't uh, really connected any dots because haven't heard any more speculation about the uh, the player visiting. But it may very well be uh, Scholar Spencer. Well, you know, there was a guy on San Diego State that Alabama recruited the heck out of a while back. Angelo. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I know your Angelo Chole was a your. I don't about. think it's him, is it? I don't. I, I don't think so. He had a pretty now. Now uh, Spencer, uh, Skyler Spencer is six ten. He's built like Willie Quasi. Uh, let's see. He was a junior last year, so I'm thinking it must be him. He's six ten, two forty, uh, and a center and a shot blocker. No for shot blocking. Is what yes. So I'm thinking it, it must be possibly Skyler Spencer if it's going to be a big man. That's really yeah. the only person on San Diego State's roster other than Chol that fits the profile you, you gave out. So we'll go with that for now. Maybe he'll visit, maybe he won't. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> theoretically they can show up the first day of school in, in August and, and still, you know, be on the team. Well, uh, I, you know, it, it would be – and, of course, Kawasi ended up at Arkansas. But what would I, – I would not blame Avery Johnson if you – if they, you know you know how it is, Kerry, like you said. and It's not over until August. <laughs> so – uh, they've got two scholarships left. If they got the two right fifth-year guys, you could see them add two more, and it wouldn't. It would be fine because they ultimately want to sign. They only they only have one senior on the team right now, of course, in uh, Retno Basahan, who's a fifth-year guy. And ultimately, they'd like to sign three players in the 2016 class, and that's why they they wanted to give themselves some flexibility. And you, you don't blame them. And if you do that, you. If you've got three fifth-year uh, seniors, then you can still go ahead and sign all those guys. And so we'll see. But I have a funny feeling they're going to add at least one more piece, uh, or Avery Johnson probably wouldn't have uh, announced anything. And then, and as we've learned, and we were we were correct about this, that Pete, none of those pieces were considered his son. Okay, no, no, his son's probably going to be a walk-on. Okay? Yes, he will be. Uh, so they can here's it. another guy, just kind of sweet, interesting from our. Uh, our pal on Twitter, Bryant Mildington, a recent Bama graduate, uh, 4.0. Good job, Bryant. Tried to get you to call Bama. He's a basketball guy. He tell you he's too busy studying. Apparently it paid off. But uh, Bryant has found an article, Drew, 
where and, and this name has emerged before, but now it's out again. St. John, uh, yes, Chris Obekpa, mm-hmm. and and Chris is also a shot blocker. So uh, you know, the, the only thing about him, Carrie, is I, I did a little bit of digging on him. Is from what I understand, he would have to sit out. Yeah, he would. He'd have to sit out here, and he only have a year after that. Yeah. But his his name has resurfaced as someone that's listing Alabama as one of his final four or five. Okay. So if somebody is listing Alabama, it means they must be at least hearing from Alabama. That's just common sense, right? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, so, I would rather if I'm Avery pick up a fifth year guy, even if it's just a shot blocker rebounder, to try to give you a little depth in the post. I mean, personally, I would like to see them add. Uh, a wing and a big, if you could find the right fifth-year pieces. But if yes. you can't, if they could add one more, well, you know, if it, if it is a shooter, uh, they do need another wing player that can shoot. And like you said, they're just going to have to hold their breath and hope that Michael Kessens and uh, Jimmy Taylor and Shannon Hale and those guys uh, stay. And of course, get some get it. And uh, you're going to need a contribution of some kind uh, for for uh, for obviously. Uh, for for the young freshman from Laverne, but uh, Dante Hall. But obviously, you're just going to have to hope that those guys stay healthy and you have enough pieces inside. Did you see RollTide.com's updated roster? How they listed Dante? Uh, I know he's number 35. I did see that. I did not. I'm talking. Not, he is. He is. But I'm talking about 16 205. 205. Okay. That's what they're saying at the U of A. Now, when we met him in Montgomery, you and I both met Dante. We didn't think he was a full 16, but. Whoever measured him at UA got him at 6'10", but think, you know, he was telling people he was 220, 225. They got him on the roster right now at this hour at 205. Now, I'm hoping that Lou Deneen can change that before mid-October, and I'm confident that he can. Uh, Lou Deneen is an interesting study. Uh, some of us call him Bryant and me, the guy I was just talking about. We call him Coach Ponytail. But he's yeah. really impressed uh, – he really impressed Avery to the point that he retained him. And I don't think that was a done deal when Avery got there. Coach no. Denise is partially responsible for the upperclassmen's success right now at UAB, Sweet 16 team last year. Yeah. But Coach Denise is now entering into his third year at Alabama. And for people that say that, that there's no transformation going on, I, I give you Jimmy Taylor, uh, a legit 6'10", 240. When he got there, Drew, he was maybe 215. So it can be done. Well, it can be. And, you know, I've been critical of the strength and conditioning program, but a lot of times the reason that may not necessarily be succeeding is because of the head coach. It's from the top down where you get your emphasis and your player development. And, uh, obviously, Lou Deneen can try to motivate and, and develop these guys, get them in the weight room all you want. But if the head coach is not being uh, – is not behind him – and is not, you know, emphasizing working constantly, and is, and 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 to be honest, instead of being really a weight room, and I and I've said before, I thought there wasn't enough uh, development physically, but there has been some, but I think maybe uh, that it wasn't emphasized enough by Anthony Grant, and then secondly, and we've already mentioned this, obviously the the player development from a skill standpoint was piss poor, and so that's why. Oh, and so they just they didn't do a very good job of teaching offensive basketball, and that's real because the guys defended and they tried to play hard, and and they were pretty good defensively throughout his tenure. But they they did that and sacrificed offense. And Anthony Grant has zero, and he'll never ever feel for it offensively. 
And to me, that's why he'll never be a superb head coach. And, I mean, because uh, leopards don't change their spots. Mark Godfrey is still not a great head coach. But what he is is a really good recruiter, and uh, he's getting really good players at NC State. I mean, he got Trevor Lacey to transfer. He's already got some other transfers sitting out at North Carolina State. And the bottom line is, but uh, but Anthony Grant will never be a good offensive basketball coach, and that's probably why if, if he's smart, he's going to stay uh, on the hip of Billy Donovan for the rest of his career and continue to rack in the cash because uh, now I understand why it took him uh, ten, uh, nine years or whatnot with Billy Donovan before he took a head coaching job. There you go, and you see why. He's a lieutenant, not a general. And before we take our first call on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline, check them out at bigheadsbbq.net. Before we take that, I do want to emphasize to the listeners how badly Coach Ludini wants to be in Coach Lisa. Uh His wife is still working in Birmingham. They're still living in their house in Birmingham. He commutes down there every day. He wants to be there. I pretty much his neighbor. But now I'm going to go ahead and bring on our first caller of the night on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline. You too can be a caller by dialing 714-510-3707. Again, that number is 714-510-3707. Welcome in on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline from Greenville, Alabama, Colin Big C. McGuire. Hey, how y'all doing tonight? Good, Big C. How are you, man? Hey, Bruce. Hey, Kenny. What's happening? Not much, brother. Just ranting about Anthony Grant and thanking God he's gone. Well, let's talk about what, what's the Williams guy's name that I can't pronounce his name that Alabama flipped over to, from Auburn, the defensive lineman from Winona. Right, uh, Quinnen Williams, uh, about six four and a half, two hundred and sixty-five pounds uh, from one of the great mascots in high school sports, the Winona Dragons. Uh, they uh, didn't have a lot of success as a team his junior year. I think they went three and six under Ronald Cheatham, but have had some success, especially uh, when they uh, in the last couple of seasons before that, uh, when when they had the the uh, obviously some big time talented players that moved on to the college level, specifically the big wide receiver six five uh, from uh, Mississippi State. Now that took is a, a sophomore that took a lot of leaps forward. Uh, as a player, and obviously was Mr. Basketball, uh, also as a Winona Dragon. But again, uh, I think uh, I think Quinn is a low risk uh, signee. He's someone that Alabama has watched closely. There's the, the senior class in 2016 is top heavy uh, in the state, and then there's not a lot of depth there. But I think they really liked him, and there's there's a, there's a handful of them that they really like that they want to procure and. I think a couple of those kids are private commitments and Ben Davis and Mac Wilson, and they're still working. Uh, the guy in your area, Marlon Davis, and we'll see about that. But, uh, again, I think, obviously, uh, Quinn and Williams made the short list and they were able to, you know, get his commitment. Well, I watched some highlights on him the other, on him the other night. He looks like me. Or at least he can make plays. Let's put this way. Uh, I was impressed with him. Uh What's the story on him having committed in Auburn in April, and then all of a sudden he goes to a camp and decides to decommit and come to Alabama? Or what do y'all know about that? Well, what the story is, Big C, he he was he grew up an Auburn fan, and you know Lance Thompson kind of found him when he was at Alabama, and then went to the dark side, which was his own fault. But anyway, he uh, he ends up coaching at Auburn and you know, offers the kid, and then as soon as he offers him, pretty much gets a commitment from him early in the process. And, 
Alabama continues to evaluate him and recruit him, but he'd never really been to Alabama, didn't know much about their program. But Coach Cristobal is such a good recruiter. He had a good rapport with him and his and his family, especially his dad. And once they got him down there, once he skipped Big Cat weekend in late May and came to Alabama for four days and stayed for the majority of that camp working with Bo Davis, he realized that uh, that Alabama was fit his uh, goals and dreams a little bit better than Auburn did. And he decided he wanted to be a part of the program, so he decommitted from Auburn but did not commit to Alabama right away as some thought he would. But he waited about three weeks, but now he's officially on board. And he needed to get on board because, again, he's a quality prospect, but the, the class at Alabama Big T is filling up quickly now after they were being very selective, but more kids are starting to commit. He was number 17, and the word is they're probably going to take 27, 28 guys. So there's only you know, around 11, 12 spots left. Might be a gray shirt or two. And you got to count Christian Bell uh, in that group as well since he gray shirted. But, again, they, uh, they're super excited about the class, and it's going to be heavy on uh, OLs and DLs. And it may not – the string of number one classes is not guaranteed to continue this year. It could, but even if it doesn't, it'll be a, a top three to five class. And with the, uh, with, the, with the emphasis they've put on offensive and defensive linemen, that's what they needed. And they're going to lose several defensive linemen after this year. You're, gonna, you're going to lose Ryan Kelly. You know, off the offensive line, you're going to lose Dominic Jackson. So they're going. They're, they needed to get some linemen into the program. They needed some offensive tackles. They seem to be getting that done, and it's going to fit their needs. And they and this should this class should be. They're going to finish really strong, I think, in 2016. That's good. Um, so y'all think me and Dave, uh, the Davis boy, and the Wilson kid is their private commitments in y'all's opinion? Uh huh. I believe that. I'll let Kerry comment on it, but I, I believe that. I'm not sure, Big C, that there's a such thing anymore as private commitment. But I'll say this. They're about as heavy a lean as you can possibly be to a school without being publicly committed. I'll, I'm just going to phrase it that way to be safe. Well, I, all I'll say, Big C, is there's, there's a reason that Auburn is no longer recruiting Mac Wilson, and it has nothing to do with his talent. Because they knew hell was going to freeze over before he went there. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think he might can be able to persuade the young man from here to have follow him up to Tuscaloosa, or do y'all have an idea? Well, I think there's a chance. I think Auburn's going to have to work. I think because of his brother, you know, being at Auburn, you'd have to give them an edge there. I mean, they're really working. Kenneth Carter and trying to tell him, you know, make sure your son, your, your excuse me, your brother, your half brother ends up at Auburn. But I'll say this, and I've said it before on the show, and I've told you, a lot of it's going to play itself out in August. If uh, Marlon Davidson goes back to Carver, you know, you might need to have a stiff drink if you're an Auburn fan. Uh, but if he if he stays at Greenville High School, then you've got a much better chance, and that'll play itself out soon. But Marlon, he visited for uh, Big Cat Weekend after initially saying he was going to go to LSU, so that was good for Auburn. And But he hasn't been real vocal, uh, you know, and hasn't said a whole lot since to anyone. So we'll find out. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's an Auburn lock. I'll say that. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, looks like now, what about the state of Alabama? Are, they, are there a lot of good prospects, or is it just these three guys are so big that uh, – 
Well, I think uh, that those three are by far the, the best, and, and Quinn and Williams. Uh, I do love E-Roll Thompson, uh, the linebacker at Florence High School, but there may be some academic uh, situations there. <laughs> Pardon me. And, and then also with the camp process and Alabama evaluating, the spots are tight, and I was, I've been told by someone that, would, that speaks with the coaching staff, and right now – the top two defensive players on their board overall are Rayshon Gary from Paramus High School in New Jersey, defensive end, who many people think is the top player overall in the country regardless of position. And then another one is Dontavius Jackson from Houston at Leaf Texas High School, uh, who's uh, uh, an inside linebacker and who who visited for Alabama's lineman camp in mid-June and put on a show and – I've been told that he's the number one linebacker on the on their board overall, and he could easily, along with Ben and Mac, be the final three linebackers. So that's why you've seen the E. Thompson situation slow down, and he's put, he's pushed back his commitment date several times because he wants to come to Alabama. But as of right now, E. Thompson may not have a spot, and it could be he's this year's version of Keith Mixon who leaves the state of Alabama and is a quality student athlete or a really good player that ends up in Stark Vegas because uh because Alabama doesn't have a spot and he grew up and his his parents are Auburn fans but right now uh, Auburn doesn't seem to be involved with the young guy so we'll see but I think E Thompson's definitely a great player but he may not uh, have a spot at Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um now who is the guy that Dual threat quarterback that uh, committed recently. Uh, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, where is he from? He's from Channel View, Texas. Okay, around Houston. Okay. Yep. Well, what else? What else you got for us tonight, Kerry? I don't know what else to ask y'all, young men tonight. Uh, um. Well, one interesting dynamic, and we, we touched on this briefly at the beginning, but it, it may be that the quarterback recruiting for this class is not over yet. Uh, it may be that they'll take one more, and it might be that Juwan Pass, a Columbus, Georgia, who played high school ball with Alabama freshman Makai Pfeiffer, could be in the picture. Makai uh, Brown, Gary. Makai <laughs> Brown. Came from Makai Pfeiffer. Exactly. Exactly. Makai Brown. Name for Macau That's like people used to call me Terry Grant, but that's what I was named for. Fortunately, <laughs> I only bat from one side of the plate, but that's another story. Um, yeah, so Macau Brown's a freshman at that this year. Juwan Pass is uh, probably one of the top available quarterbacks in the community world. And sometime around the 16th of July or so, Juwan's going to commit. And Alabama's in his final three. Some people think Alabama's the leader. I know at least one website has it pretty much crystal ball to Alabama, and they, and they have a good batting average. But at the same time, there's some questions, Big C, as to how committable his Bama offer is. But I, I, I kind of get the feeling that it's committable, Drew, simply because nothing happened with the rumored visit by Jacob Park that never took place. Uh-huh. Well, what is media days going to be? Is it coming first? What now? What's that? Media days. Go ahead. How much sooner is that going to be? Uh, it's around the 16th or so of uh, this month. It's not this coming week. It's not this coming week. It's the week after that. 
and uh, Alabama's Alabama's bringing Reggie Ragland, but we don't know who the other person is yet. Uh, Reggie Ragland, I don't know if you've seen this or not. Let's see, it might have been on the Montgomery News tonight. But Reggie Ragland is coming as part of a new program that they're doing, where each school is is going to send somebody. Uh, they're calling this Beyond the Field Stories of the SEC. And uh, basically, it's going to be people that have a compelling story of things they're doing off the field. And Reggie yeah. has listened to VA Hospital Salusa a lot. And so he's going to be there to talk about that as well as the Alabama defense. We're not 100% mm-hmm. sure who else Alabama's going to send. Uh, I, I would like for them to send Derek Henry if they could. Uh, but, you know, Ryan Kelly's a senior leader. He might be a possibility. Uh, there's there's a few others, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's a, and that might be the three right there. I, I don't know. Uh, Kenyon Drake would be a good one. He's a guy that yeah. has become a million miles in his maturity. Uh, so that's that's kind of all we know for sure is Ragland, but there'll probably be at least two more. And I'm just giving you some guesses on who it's going to be. But uh, I believe Alabama's day is the 16th. It's still about mm-hmm. a and a half away. Let's see. All right. Well, I just want to give y'all boys a call. I appreciate it, and uh, I always enjoy it. And I'll be talking to you around seven forty tomorrow, big man. Yep, you're gonna be my alarm tomorrow. I've set my since I'm off my regular job. I have to set my phone alarm real loud, so you'll be my alarm. So I might be a little right. laggy, but I'll try to be. Uh, and uh, what what me and Big C have been doing every week on his show for y'all that, that want to tune in to jotguy.com and hear the podcast. Uh, We've been breaking down a different position group every week uh, for Alabama. We've already done the whole offense, and we've done the defensive line. So tomorrow, Big C and me are going to talk about the linebackers, and then next Friday we'll talk about the secondary, and then the following Friday we'll close out with special teams. So we've been kind okay. of doing a series for the last breaking down different positions. So y'all can go listen to that at jockguide.com under the uh, title Talking Sports with Big C. But on Friday mornings, at least 20, 25 minutes of it is Big C and CC. The C connection. Yeah, that's right. I like that. Big C and CC. I like that. That's pretty good, big man. Well, Drew, you hang in there. Clark, Eddie, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Roll Tide to all y'all. Okay, Roll Tide, Big C. It's probably a good time right now, two minutes after the hour, to take our one and only break. And uh, we're going to do that, and we'll be back with you in, say, three or four minutes. But for now, you're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMS Sports Radio family.
Welcome back to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. That was an interesting first hour as uh, Drew and I touched on a number of topics. And uh, we're kind of efforting to get Drew back on the call right now that we do over Skype when we produce BAMS Radio. But in his absence, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about uh, the new program by the SEC where they are featuring Beyond the Field, Stories of the SEC. I told you that Reggie Ragland is going to represent Alabama due to his uh, visiting of the VA hospital in Tuscaloosa, which, by the way, last time he took uh, junior to be tight in O.J. Howard with him. But there are other schools who will be sending representatives to talk about their off-the-field situations. Jonathan Williams, a senior running back at Arkansas, who uh, says his faith, his family, his education are very important to him and those play a role. Uh, he has excelled at Arkansas despite family financial setbacks and hardships, but still bypassed the chance to turn pro last year. Auburn is going to send Jeremy Johnson. Uh, it's the first time in a number of years that Auburn has sent a quarterback to media days. It's really It's been a long while. But they are sending Jeremy, who's a junior-to-be, and uh, his uh, stepmother came to his life, and he has used her his motivation to uh, give back to his community. He speaks to elementary, junior high, and high school students, and he also collects clothes for Goodwill and the Salvation Army. The Florida Gators are sending Jonathan Bullard, a senior defensive lineman who was raised in part by a grandmother who battled cancer during his high school career, and despite his intention to play in school near her home, she encouraged him to follow his dream and play for Florida. She got to see him play his freshman year, but then she became ill and passed on uh, right after he played the best game of his career against Missouri. Georgia is sending Malcolm Mitchell, who came very, very close to being a Princeton Tide player. Alabama was recruiting him more as a defensive back, and Georgia told him wide receiver. And just hours after telling Kirby Smart he was coming to Alabama, Malcolm Mitchell committed to Georgia, has had a good year, a good career there when he was healthy. He's an avid reader. And uh, through a chance encounter with another reading enthusiast, became a member of a local book club of women, mostly between 40 to 60 years old. Quite a story off the field there for Malcolm Mitchell. From Valdosta, Georgia, a place you should make an effort to see a high school game if you never have. They take it seriously. They tailgate. Kentucky is sending senior defensive tackle Melvin Lewis. He grew up in Compton, California. That is the hood. And he's earning a college degree. That would have been a challenging goal, something he couldn't have done without a scholarship. Uh, he spent two years at Fullerton College, Simon, Kentucky, and has completed his bachelor's degree in community and leadership development. His dream job is doing anything to help his community. And Compton is it is the hood, if you're not familiar with California or L.A. LSU is sending Leonard Fournette, a sophomore. You don't see a lot of sophomores at media days. But uh, he is, is coming to talk about when he and his family lived on a bridge for five days and four nights in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. His family then moved to Baton Rouge, Corpus Christi, and Portland, Texas, before settling back in New Orleans, uh, even though his old neighborhood was destroyed. That's a compelling story. Ole Miss is sending junior tight end Evan Ingram, who is uh, probably going to leave after this year because he's that good. He'll be an NFL tight end a year from now. He was mostly ignored by major college programs, but he emerged as an All-American candidate 
He's involved immensely in the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He devotes his time for the mentally and physically challenged through Special Olympics and local developmental schools. Mississippi State is sending their quarterback, Dak Prescott, who they would have sent anyway, but Dak lost his mom to cancer after she raised him and his two brothers in a tiny trailer as a single parent running a truck stop in Louisiana. She taught Dak about hard work, meaning a family and serving others, and he regularly speaks to area schools about working hard, being dedicated, having passion. Great kid, great player. South Carolina is sending Elliot Fry, a junior kicker, who reached his dream of playing college football at the highest level despite suffering from type 1 diabetes, sort of like Mr. Holcomb at the University of Alabama. Uh, in fact, he is one of the best in the conference in his position, talking about Fry the kicker. He is very consistent, by the way. He was second-team RCC last year. Tennessee is sending Josh Dobbs, junior quarterback, who had his coming-out party and a loss to Alabama in Knoxville last year. He is an aerospace engineering major planning on building airplanes and flying them after his football career. He's done various internships with space and airline airplane companies, including one this current summer. He became fascinated in planes at a young age with a trip to the Delta plant in Atlanta where he played high school ball. Texas a is sending Mike Matthews, the senior center, part of the great Matthews legacy of offensive linemen who have come through A&M. Uh, his father, Bruce, was an NFL Hall of Famer. His brothers, Kevin and Jake, played for A&M. And uh, Jake was a four-year starter. Vanderbilt is sending Ralph Webb, a sophomore running back. Uh, small group of, he and a small group of Vanderbilt students went to Australia to study biodiversity in the Great Barrier Reef and tropical rainforest this summer. That's a, a rather interesting story. And uh, Missouri is sending Kenya Dennis, a senior cornerback. He was a full academic qualifier out of high school, but he began his career in junior college because he was unnoticed from a very small town in Mississippi. He draws inspiration from another DB that went to Hines Junior College, Malcolm Butler. You'll remember Butler as being the hero of Super Bowl uh, for his game-saving interception. Butler played at West Alabama and Kenya Dennis of Missouri is that is out. I do believe that we have uh, Drew back with us right now. He's still having sound trouble. I'm trying to get him to call the show just through the cell. Oh, okay. I saw a picture. I thought he might do it. Yeah, that's still the no sound. Of, uh, all the uh, people that are coming to that part of the uh, media days. And that took me a long time to read all that, and the Drew now has got sound. So welcome back, Drew. Uh, the gremlins are gone. Uh, it took about 15 minutes there. Not really sure what happened, but uh, we've had those issues. Sorry for the audience. I had to drop off there for a little bit. It's uh, out of our control. It's a little bit of a Skype situation, I think, with uh, with them. But we finally back, and uh, glad to be back with everyone. Well, I just gave everybody a complete rundown of everybody that's doing the off-the-field experience thing for the SEC. So they all know all about that. And we're about a minute away, a minute and a half away, from our next guest, but in that small time we have left, Drew, uh, what else should our listeners know that we didn't cover in the first hour about Alabama football recruiting at this juncture? Well, I just think there's 11 or 12 spots left. Um, they've got – I consider Khalid Kareem a defensive lineman because I think he's going to be a John Allen type guy. He's already 259 pounds, according to his father, and uh, who I had, I had he and Kareem on – uh, or Khalid, excuse me, Mr. Kareem and Khalid on my show, and um, they, he, I think uh, he, uh, Khalid is now 
Um, six four, about two hundred and fifty nine, two hundred close to two hundred and sixty pounds. I think he'll end up two eighty, two eighty five and end up with his hand in the dirt. So I think they're gonna add there's so many good defensive linemen they're on. It wouldn't shock me if they signed eight. I mean seven at least seven if not eight. So I think uh they, they could sign three to four more defensive linemen. They want another offensive tackle. You know, you need to look at Greg Little at Allen, Texas. Uh, Juwan Williams of Archbishop High School in Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, they still like Garrett Bowles, the JUCO, but now they've got Baldwin. I'm not sure they're going to take another junior college player. So they'd like to get another high school offensive tackle. Uh, also, you know, you look at uh, Kellen Deesh, uh, sorry, a Texas kid, and then Jean DeLance, another North Mesquite, uh, uh, Texas young man. Those two, uh, Deesh is committed to Arkansas. DeLance is decommitted from Oklahoma and is very interested in Alabama, but They'll add another high school offensive tackle. So, you know, those, those are some guys to watch. And I think, uh, obviously, that they, I still think Kobe Eubanks' brother Nick could easily end up being a part of the class and they could take three tight ends because, as you know, Kerry, they've had trouble lately procuring tight ends in the recruiting class. So, again, and, and they may not be finished products when you sign them, but they can – uh, develop those guys, and I think they're going to try to take a couple of uh, wide receivers. You know, Darnell Solomon, someone to watch. Travon Diggs is named uh, according to two four seven Bama Online. He named Alabama his leader and postponed his announcement. Many thought he was going to commit this Saturday. I had been told for the last couple of weeks that that Maryland would probably be his destination, but we will see with Diggs. And, and then they like AJ Brown at Starkville High School. They're involved with a lot of really good wide receivers, Michael Jones of Patterson, Louisiana. So. They're going to add a couple more receivers, maybe another defensive back or two. Uh, Nigel Knott, Nigel Warrior are a couple to watch. I think I, I do think they'll add at least one more defensive back. But, again, the numbers are getting tight, and they really need a couple of running backs uh, with all the attrition. Uh, Devin White, someone to watch from Spring Hill, Louisiana, uh, one of the best players in the country. Could also be a linebacker, but 250-plus pounds is a load at running back, and then, of course, B.J. Emmons from the state of North Carolina that John Garcia has talked about on our show. He's a prototypical saving back. He's, he's around the 225, 230-pound range. He's decommitted from Georgia, and uh, he's taking a very serious look at Alabama. So uh, I do think they're going to add some more pieces. I would personally uh, not take Juwan Pass. I think he's a good-looking prospect with a lot of potential, but with so many needs at other positions, I'm not so sure that I would take him, but it's so it's going to be interesting to see if they do because again, uh, the, very soon the, you're, you're going to before you know it, you'll be around 20 commits, and it's just really going to be interesting to see how the, the class finishes because uh, they, they they've got some needs they've got to uh, address, and obviously at linebacker, a lot of those we talked about Ben Davis, we talked about Mac Wilson, Dontavious Jackson, so it's going to be interesting to see how that ultimately develops. All right, well, I'm glad you mentioned John Garcia of BamaMag.com because he's been a guest on this show many times. Of course, we've also had Kirk McNair of BamaMag.com, the publisher, many times. Now we're going to have another member of the BamaMag.com writing staff along with myself, and he's a first-time guest on this show, but he's a veteran of talk radio guest ships. Your friend and mine, Mr. Arnold A.P. Stedham. AP, how are you doing tonight? Oh, great, Kerry. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. We're glad to have you. And uh, we talked a little bit about basketball recruiting in hour one, so we're going to save that for the latter part of the segment. 
the biggest reason that I wanted you to join us tonight, AP, is that uh, you seem to be very involved in the movement to get Kenny the Snake Stabler into the NFL Hall of Fame. Tell us a little bit about that project and uh, what all you're doing with that. Yeah, that's kind of one of the Don Quixote windmills that I've been chasing for a number of years, Kerry. It started off, I guess, when I was a young boy. That was one of the first players I knew about in Baldwin County. It was a, a fantastic player, and, and you know, he played at Alabama, a great player. And, and uh, come to find out, you know, Kerry, when you look at the history of the NFL, there's been all-decade teams since the 1920s. Well, every single quarterback that's been on the all-decade team, including the AFL all-decade team, is in the Hall of Fame except five. Three are not eligible Tom Brady, Brett Favre, and Peyton Manning, of course. And the fourth one is Cecil Isbell. He, he threw it to John Hudson uh, with the Green Bay Packers in the 30s. He retired prematurely to go back to his alma mater, Purdue. And then the fifth one is Kenny Stabler. He's conspicuously absent. So I think that there needs to be a little push to get Kenny in the Hall of Fame. So for the last few years, I've been writing some stories. I had just published my third story the other day. And so so that's what I'm chasing right now and trying to get Kenny in the Hall of Fame. And I think that people should know that um, it's significant that Kenny was on the 1970s all-decade team, and he was chosen over Fran Tarkenton, who played in three Super Bowls and had big numbers in his career. He was chosen over Bob Greasy, who was in three, three Super Bowls and won two, and he was chosen over uh, – Dan Faust, who played six years in that decade and subsequently was on the 1980s All-Decade team. So it's Roger Staubach, Terry Bradshaw, and Kenny Stabler, the All-Decade team of quarterbacks in the 1970s. And these are the writers. These are people who witnessed Kenny's exploits through the decade. And so I I think that should be noted by the voters of today, the selection committee, which consists of 46 voters, 32, one from each NFL City, 14 at large. So some of the, those are some of the main reasons I believe that Kenny should be in the Hall of Fame, and you, you can't overlook those facts. Well, let me give you some more stats, and, and these are the stats that I struggle with, AP, when I look at putting Kenny in the Hall of Fame. I'm a big believer in that you should have, if you're a great quarterback, that you should have a two-to-one ratio of touchdowns to interceptions. Key Saber threw for 27,938 yards. He threw 194 touchdowns, AP, but he threw 222 interceptions. And I think part of the reason for that is he kind of played a little bit too long. <laughs> I mean, he liked making the money. He liked the camaraderie. But those last couple of years with the Saints, frankly, were a joke. And they they kind of hurt him, I think, in the eyes of the voters. And, you know, like I said, I, I like a guy to have two to one, or, you know, at least 50 50. But AP, he's 194 touchdowns, 222 interceptions. Are, are those Hall of Fame numbers? Correct. When, when you look at those numbers, you, you pause a moment. And you have to remember that the philosophy that Kenny adapted and accepted was to throw the football down the field. He wasn't looking to make long handoffs as they do now. It was during the bump and run era. And you can't, you know you can't dispute those are facts, no, no question about it. But you look at his his winning percentage. He, he was 103, 54, and one as a starter, and he he reached the pinnacle of the position, being the MVP of the league, 
winning a Super Bowl. Uh, so it was a different era of football. And the greatest, one of the greatest testaments I, I heard from somebody was they, they asked um, uh, John Stallworth uh, when he was getting. They told John Stallworth when he was getting in the Hall of Fame, a Hall of Fame player, if someone when they mention that era of football, you must include his name. And you can't talk about the 1970s without uh, discussing the the talents of Kenny Stabler and how he led the Oakland Raiders because they, they were challenging the Pittsburgh Steelers. They had that fabulous defense. And one thing I did uh, in part of my strategy, this last story and the second story, I went to the Pittsburgh Steelers and interviewed them to have them go on record to see if they thought Kenny Stabler should be in, in the Hall of Fame, and specifically some defensive players. The great Mel Blunt, Hall of Fame cornerback. Donnie Shell, who had over 50 interceptions in the 60s, probably should be in the Hall of Fame. And, and then I went to the, the, the head man himself, Terry Bradshaw, and he gave me an interesting uh, statement to uh, include in the story. He said, write down that Kenny Stabler was the best left-handed quarterback of all time. Well, he made that statement to me, uh, Kerry, and I said, well, let's back up like a Georgia Mule and consider that statement because there was another guy in the Bay Area, a left-handed quarterback, played for the 49ers. He said, no, let's, let's look at the, uh, the record. He said, who led the, led the league in passing when Bill Walsh first entered the league? And I said, well, it was uh, Steve DeBerg. And he says, you're right. And he thought it was more of a system that those 49er quarterbacks were successful. Not that they didn't have talent, not that they shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, Steve Young and Joe Montana. Nobody's arguing that point. But he just said he wanted me to write down that Kenny Stabler, his arch rival, should be noted as the best left-handed quarterback. And not only that, Paul Brown, he was a legendary figure in coaching. He was a genius. He didn't even believe that someone who threw the ball left-handed should play the position. So Kenny was a pioneer in that regard. He paved the way for a Boomer Esaias and a Steve Young. That's fair. And let me let me say this, in, in, in counterpointing my own self, uh, another very well-known guy, who, and Kenny's quarterback rating, by the way, was 75, which is pretty good. Another well-known guy that anybody that listens to this show has heard of had a quarterback rating of 65.5. He threw for 27,663 yards. He threw... <laughs> 173 <laughs> touchdowns and 220 interceptions. So, actually, a worse interception to touchdown ratio, but he's one of the greatest <laughs> quarterbacks ever. And I think you know who I'm talking about, AP. Don't know. He's in the yes, offense. Sir. So, I just yes. I just shut down my own argument about touchdown interceptions <laughs> because Joe's ratio is worse than Kenny's. I will shut up, and I'm just going to come over to your side before Drew's not coming because Drew wasn't too thrilled a year ago when I wasn't fired up about Kenny getting in. I, I was extremely fired up when Derek Thomas got in. I was all about that. But now that I'm right. seeing that Joe's stats are actually worse than Kenny, I'm with you, AP. I'm sold. <laughs> so I had one sale tonight, one sale tonight. That, that, that's positive. But you, you're right, that's Terry. That's one more uh, I got in my uh, day job today. So, hey, yeah. well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah let me to, to, I'm sorry, AP. I was. This is Drew. I was just going to interject and – uh, that was my next point. Kerry beat me to it, and I, I, that's fine. I was going to mention the fact that Joe's stats are not as good as Kenny's as far as uh, touchdowns and interceptions, but I think AP's argument about the style of football and it being more vertical and it wasn't as quarterback-friendly back in those days is 100% uh, should be a factor. 
And I think the bottom line is when you look at Kenny and Joe is they were winners first and foremost. Uh, it's not so much a stat game. It's a winner's game. Uh, even Terry Bradshaw's stats in certain situations weren't great, but he was considered a winner. And the, the, the quote that AP got from Terry Bradshaw should be the final one. I mean, he played the position. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, the steel curtain is, I think, the greatest defense still in NFL history. If those guys – and the Raiders were their big rival. I mean, you know, you know, it's so important that when the Raiders have beaten the Steelers in the past, they put it on their rings. So the bottom line is uh, they were uh, they respected each other, but they were also each other's biggest rival. And if and to me, that's why I like that top 100 in the NFL now. And uh, obviously Julio Jones was the 13th overall. I believe Eddie Lacy was in the top 100. But when your when your peers vote you into the top 100, or if your peers think you're a Hall of Famer, to me that's when you are. And I think the committees need to wake up. And I don't think there's any doubt Snake should have already been in the Hall and that he needs to be in the Hall. And I know John Madden feels the same way. Yeah, I'll just add to your point there. Uh, many times I've covered the NFL draft in, in New York. I've been in Chicago recently for this year's, and I, I approached some of these, these selection committee members. And one prominent person, you probably know him, he's kind of professorial in nature, and I – said to him, what about Kenny Stable getting in the Hall of Fame? And the first comments he made to me was his stats were not that good. And I looked at him and, put, you know, I was astonished that he would say that because Kenny is not a person that should be in because of his stats per se. I mean, there's many more quarterbacks with supersonic numbers. Uh, you know, Brett Favre got, probably has triple the numbers and Fan Tarkenton has double the numbers. But when he made that comment, I, I realized that there was another agenda and someone didn't told me what was on his mind, and uh, that, that kind of explained the situation. But, but Kenny, uh, I'm hoping he gets in the Hall of Fame. He, like he's, I say, he's conspicuously absent. And I even went back and I spoke to George Perlis uh, and Woody Widenhofer, the former Vanderbilt, Missouri coach, but they were both defensive coordinators for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They overwhelmingly uh, said to me, that Kenny should be in the Hall of Fame. I wanted to get them on record as well. And George Perlis, as you all know, it was Nick Saban's mentor at Michigan State. So, you know, and we had Franco Harris on record. Uh, Fran Tarkenton went on the radio and said that Kenny should be in the Hall of Fame. So all these, you know, that, that was a strategy that I had in mind that I just wasn't looking for Kenny's teammates or maybe even former quarterbacks like, you know, uh, Roger Staubach, he told me in person. Kenny should be in the Hall of Fame. Dan Fouts told me he should be in the Hall of Fame. So when you see the Pittsburgh Steelers, and there was a, you know, that grudge that existed during that era, as I tell people, Dante's Inferno was an icebox compared to that gathering. So for them to go on record, uh, it, it's in, those are weighted words. They have gravitas. So it should be considered by the committee. Hey, Pete, let me ask you, uh, what do you think has been the holdup? Is it that he played too long and, 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 you know, looked like an old, decrepit Muhammad Ali type out there still battling? Is it that his many off-the-field issues with the IRS and other things like that? What do you think has kept Kenny out of the hall? Yeah, yeah, I think that the, some of the voters that I speak to, they they mention the fact that the, the greatness of, of his career, and he was in there about 15, 16 years, was, was limited. But you can't exclude that those moments. You know, you can't detract um, if somebody had great moments and was the MVP of the league, you know, player of the year. 
So th- th- that's one thing. And and there was there was an incident, you know, many many years ago, which I uh, I addressed in my first story that uh, was with a reporter, not between Kenny, but somebody maybe associated with Kenny, and there, there was a strong voice in the room at the time. Paul Zimmerman, they called him Dr. Z from Sports Illustrated, and he was offended by the situation, but he's no longer there. So that was the, I think, something that blocked Kenny from getting in uh, through the years. But but I spoke to that particular reporter in California. He doesn't have any grudge against Kenny, um, and so he's forgiven any, anything that's happened in the past. So that, that shouldn't be a roadblock. But I would say maybe those two things, but, but the quarterback position, as I said, is really a unanimously – uh, a unanimous position that everyone's in the Hall of Fame except five people, and the one person played an abbreviated career. So Kenny's going to be the only one left out at this moment. Well, let's change gears, and I'm coming over to y'all's side on that deal. Uh, I, I'm all for it, and I, I hope he makes it. I will say there's a few times I've ever met him in person. He was a really nice guy, and he's not the kind of guy that's a snob. He He'll sit there and sign autographs for days. And he was fun to watch, especially his heyday. Uh, there, there toward the end, when it was tough for him to throw a pass more, about 15 yards for the Saints, it was tough. But when yeah. he was in his heyday, uh, and I, I pulled for him probably the hardest AT when right. he was with Houston. Uh, I didn't even right. know until then that pro teams had fights on it, but they had one. And uh, <laughs> right. it was bad, but they had one. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I, I'm coming over to your side. Uh, Drew, you have any final thoughts on Kenny to the Hall? All I'll say is that I've been a champion of his, you know, Kerry, for a long time. Yeah. I felt like he should be in the Hall. He was part of some of the great football teams in pro football history during the Raiders' salad days and played in a lot of the great games, including the Holy Roller. And that's one of my <laughs> favorite uh, snippets of all time is Madden telling that story. You know, they, he's a nervous wreck. They're, they've got to score a touchdown on the next play. And, yeah, he they call timeout and Snake comes over there and Madden's just pacing around, not sure what's going on. And he looks at Kenny, who's looking around at the crowd, and he looks at Madden and he goes, he goes, he goes, man, coach. And he goes, what is it, Kenny? What are, you, what are we going to do? He's like, they've they've seen a great football game, haven't they? I mean, he's just <laughs> like, I mean, he's just, he's not even he wasn't even he wasn't even focused in, worried about what they were going to call. He was more just taking in the atmosphere of the football game. So that was typical, Kenny and. And I agree with what you said, Kerry. Uh, Kenny's always been very hospitable to my friends and anybody I've ever, uh, you know, I've, I've never had the pleasure of meeting uh, Snake, but I know a lot of people that have. And he's considered a man of the people, and he was revered when he was uh, the, the color commentator on Alabama's broadcast. I mean, I, I think everybody enjoyed listening to him trying to pronounce names, but uh, they, uh, <laughs> he, he was someone that's uh, always been kind of a man of the people and, as you said, that was perfectly stated. He's never been, uh, you know, rude or aloof. Uh, he always seems to love being around the fans, and I think everybody would like to see Snake in the Hall of Fame. I, I mean, I was the last holdout on the Bama side, and I'm, I'm with y'all now. So, yeah, I mean, his stats are so much better than Joe's, and Joe's been in there for quite a while. So, yeah, I, I, I'm down with it. Let, let's make it happen. Uh, anything that either of us can do to help you, AP, just let us know. Drew and I will be glad to chip in. I'm sure Thomas will, too. I do want to change the subject now, though, uh, because we touched on this for a few minutes in the first hour, just kind of chatting back and forth, AP, but you, you've become a, a big part of, of BamaMatic.com, not only for your stories about where are they now, which are excellent, and your, things like you're doing with, with Kenny, 
but also you've been a big part of the basketball recruiting coverage. And what we are all trying to do, those of us that follow Alabama basketball closely, AP, we're all trying to figure out who this final piece of the puzzle is going to be that Coach Johnson hinted about in the SEC men's summer teleconference this past Monday. Names have come out. You know, we've read about uh, Arthur Edwards from New Mexico State. We've read about uh, Skylar Spencer, a 6'10 guy from San Diego State. We've read about uh, Sean Smith, a 6'6 guy from Marshall. Uh, We've even now starting to hear for the second time about a big man from St. John's, although he would not be a graduate transfer. He had to sit out. He got in Chris Obepka. But, AP, do you have any clue at all? Because we really don't. We're just guessing. Who could be the final piece of the puzzle for this current uh, Bama basketball roster? Yeah, those are some of the names that I heard. And, you know, the other day I think Coach Johnson mentioned mentioned a wing player. So, you know, Sean Smith is a wing player. And, uh, you know, he, he's the closest thing I could see that fits fits the bill. But, really, I'm not sure. I'm really not positive who that final piece will be, and uh, but but Sean Smith is is somebody from he's from Sacramento, played out there high school ball, and and played it, he played it in junior college in San Francisco, matter of fact, and then transferred to Marshall. So he he's still looking around. He's still looking around. He hasn't made any decision. I spoke to his high school coach uh, last night, and it's still kind of on the QT. What's on his mind? But Sean hasn't even been to Tuscaloosa yet, has he? AP? Um, I don't. I don't think he. I don't think he has. His, his coach was wasn't too certain on that. So the other person that has visited Tuscaloosa, but he only averaged like four points a game. Six foot six wing named Arthur Edwards from New Mexico State. I don't know how firm his offer is. Um, <laughs> Sean Smith averaged 12 points a game, and it's a good three-point shooter, and he could step in and help him immediately. Um, yeah, I, the other yeah, two I think guys that I mentioned, yeah, I think he would be – if you had to pick one, I think you'd pick Sean Smith because right. Sean Smith good enough to either either come in there and start or come in there and push Kobe Eubanks uh, for the starting job. So, I, you know, if, if, I mean, if it's got to be a wing and it's got to be yeah. a fifth-year grad transfer – I think you got to go with Sean Smith. Arthur Edwards must be a defensive player. Edwards four points and three rebounds. I, I you know, obviously not going to come in there and light the scoreboard up. No, the other no, two yeah, guys that yeah. talked. And if you got to pick one, I think it'd be Smith. And and we're of the opinion, AP, that uh, even though he is going to be joining the team, we're of the opinion that transfer point guard Avery Johnson Jr., who's coming in from A and M to play for his dad. Then if the right pieces are there, that he won't even be on the scholarship unless you call it the Avery Johnson scholarship. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's a smart, um, you know, that's a smart thinking on y'all's part because any coach worth his salt, I mean, he, he's not going to cut off his nose despite his face. I mean, if he can bring in an extra player and have his son, you know, on the Avery Johnson scholarship, I'm sure that's what he'll select. No doubt. And, AP, I was going to ask about a, a, a kid. This is another transfer. Kerry and I really haven't really discussed him much, uh, but I will now because it's been confirmed that he visited Alabama, and he's uh, he's from Louisiana Tech, Xavier Stapleton. He was there, basically their sixth man last year on a really good team under Michael White, but who's now taking his staff to Florida. Obviously, he cannot transfer to Florida uh, or anywhere in the Conference USA, but 
he can transfer now to a school in the state of Mississippi. I know he's uh, visited Alabama and Iowa State, and I think Mississippi State's involved. But he would be a kid that would have to sit out and then have basically three years eligibility remaining. But he's intriguing. He's kind of athletic. Uh, uh, kind of the same position, though, as Nick King. So it will be interesting to see uh, if Avery Johnson continues to stay involved with that that young man. Uh, it seems that Mississippi State, Alabama, and, and maybe Iowa State could be his top three. We'll see. Uh, but, again, that's a young guy that could be one to watch. But it's obvious uh, that I, I think from, the, uh, from what Avery wants to do in 2016, he wants to be able to assign three players I think uh, in the in that class, whether they be transfers or high school or junior college prospects, and that's why I think uh, with Retton being the only senior right now on the team, uh, that you'll only see, in my opinion, uh, as this process continues to evolve, you're only going to see fifth year guys with that. Yeah, he, he's an outstanding talent. He'd be a good pickup for Alabama if he chooses. And another kid I want to talk about, Drew and Gary, that is for the 2016 class that pretty impressive credentials is Mustafa Heron. I don't know if you all had a chance to look at him on film or anything, but he's a 6'5". Yeah, he's a 6'5 swing guy. And and I spoke to his high school coach from Sacred Heart High School in Waterbury, Connecticut. He's, uh, you know, very athletic left-hander, southpaw, and he's 17 years old, 6'5", 215, which is really developed. Normally you see a kid 6'5", He's maybe 180 to 200, but this he's very strong. He plays with a purpose. He can drive the basketball from the wing. He, he's one of these players that has the option. He could glide through the lane with two dribbles and bring it down uh, over a 6'9 guy, or he can power his way in, which is unique. And he, he's very purposeful when he dribbles. Good ball handler, no hesitation with his offensive moves. He's an excellent scorer. He's got a good mid-range jump shot. I've seen him hit the three off the dribble as well. He's developing into a, 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 a pretty good shooter from the arc. His, his coach said he's working hard to develop that range, and he wants to sign probably in November. That, that's, that's a great point. I, I'm wondering who's going to be in that November class. Uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned him. Uh, he certainly is an intriguing possibility, and he certainly plays a position where there's going to be plenty of time available. But, but at some point, AP, they, they're going to need to add another big man, and they can't wait till 17 without Freese and uh, Aubrey Wiley if they can slay him from Auburn. Those are two great players, but they're <laughs> they're going to be in the 11th grade this fall. Are, are there any big men on the horizon that could be part of the November class? Yeah, that, that's something that. Um... You know, they're going to have to pick up a big – and I know the, the junior college coach, he had I – mean, not the junior college coach, I'm sorry, the AAU coach from Texas, he had a big man on his team. And um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to recall now if he's a, a 16 guy or 17. But he he was a, quite a prospect. It was Marcus something. Right. He's 2016, guys. Yeah, yeah, 16. That's what I thought. And, and – it's, at least at the minimum, you must get a visit from him, considering you hired the, his AAU coach at Alabama. I mean, he's a, he's a type of prospect Duke has already offered, okay? But Avery Johnson and his staff, they seem to be going after some top prospects from places that Alabama has not had success in the past. So when you bring in his AAU coach, you have to at least get a visit 
and, you know, getting that final, let's say, two or three. You may not get him, but he must he must make an official visit, you know, if you're going to hire his AU coach, I think. Good take from doing AP, because uh, John Goodman of ESPN interviewed the kid and asked him uh, if there was a strong relationship with Coach Possible, and the kid pretty much said, uh, not really. So that didn't give me a lot of hope. Right, but but that, but he's still hired, you know, as the AAU coach from Texas, and you you must get somebody out of Texas if that's going to be uh, the direction you went to hire somebody on your staff. Oh, I agree with that. That's correct, and the and the kid is Marquise Bolden, guys, and uh, he's considered really a heavy Kansas lean at this point. Now, yeah, we're talking about possible transfers. Yeah, it'll be tough to even get a visit from him. I realize possible coaching, but you know I don't think they're really all that tight. Uh, anyway, but I will make this point: two of the transfers we talked about that are big men, there are potentials. One would have to sit out a year, and they would still be able to play in the following season. And that's six ten shot blocker Chris Obepka from St. John. He could not play this fall, but he'd be able to practice all year and then have one year to play one. But the other one is a graduate transfer built a little bit like Willie Kowalski, but he's about 16, 240, and his name is Skylar Spencer, and he has one year to play one, and he'd be eligible immediately from San Diego State. So uh, it, it's hard to say if they'll get either one of those guys. If they get Obeka, he'd have to sit out, and he would be able to help him the following year. So essentially he'd be like a 16 guy. But uh, it's really interesting because – there's not a lot of great big men available, you know, in this area. There's six seven, six eight, I guess maybe six eight by now. Kevin Marsh from Dothan, he's a strong academic guy, but people that have scouted him don't really see him as an SEC guy, and he doesn't really have any committable SEC offers, so I don't think he's the answer. I'm just really curious uh, if anybody's got any names they can throw out there for the November signing class that are, you know, above six seven and above two twenty. I think it's wide open at this point. Yeah, I really do because the staff is so new and, uh, you know, they're trying to develop relationships, and I, I just think it's wide open. Yeah, I, I agree with AP. I think it, the, the, the month of July is always the biggest on the AAU circuit, and I think that's going to play itself out. Uh, obviously, Posh Pickle will know a lot of uh, people on the AAU scene and have a lot of connections. He may not have a great relationship with Bolden, but – uh, just like with Josh Langford, who I just had on my show last week, and he talked about his commitment to Michigan State. Um, he, you, you have to recruit these kids over a two- to three-year period a lot of times. And Alabama, just uh, there was too much uncertainty in the program for them to get someone like Josh. Uh, though I know, you know, Avery gave it his best shot. And obviously, uh, you know, Josh told me he still talks to Bob Simon every day and likes Bob a lot but they just didn't have enough time to get Josh, and they're not going to have time to get a guy like Bolden. But like AP said, maybe they can get a visit, maybe not. It's going to be tough uh, to get a kid ultimately like that, though. But it's going to play itself out. It's going to it's going to come down to uh, maybe they may have to unearth a couple of guys that they kind of get on and jump on uh, that maybe are, are late bloomers or something to that effect. But they do need to get at least one big man in the class carry. I don't think there's any doubt about that, uh, one true post guy and, uh, and the one thing I'm just hoping we'll see under this new staff, and that's what I'm anxious to see is when this season comes along, is will, that, will there be the coaching and player development of the post players that we used to see 
under Wimp Sanderson, and even David Hobbs in Alabama. When Alabama was churning out big men into the NBA, since uh, that that era of uh, coaching staffs, and, and really under Mark Godfrey, they put out some good big guys as well. But, you know, uh, in the Anthony Grant era, it was probably the worst I've ever seen as far as, uh, first of all, recruiting of post guys, and secondly, of the player development aspect. So I'm anxious to see how Avery and the, those guys do things. But with all his connections to Texas and in the NBA, I don't think there's any doubt. By the end of July, you'll know some names, and I think they'll get uh, involved with a quality big, whether it be – on the junior college level, remember there's a lot of – I thought uh, Anthony Grant did a very poor job of mining the junior colleges. And then, of course, on the high school level, I think that'll play – again, it'll play itself out. Yeah, and, and Terry and Drew, as you know, basketball is a little more fluid situation than football. Uh, things change rapidly in basketball, I think, more than, more than in football. And they're going to have some time, as Drew mentioned, to make, make some connections and – and they may not necessarily sign the big guy in November. It might take until the springtime to make that signing, sign the dotted line. Another thing I wanted to ask you, AP, uh, in your travels around the area when you're writing about basketball recruiting, when you're talking to high school coaches, when you're talking to prospects, what has been the consensus thus far about the hire of Avery Johnson and uh, what kind of job he's done at the helm in his first couple months? I, I think that Avery Johnson speaks the language of the players that are looking to play at the next level. He's, he's mimicking and echoing this, the comments of Nick Saban. He's talking about getting to the NBA. I mean, Avery Johnson mentioned he, he'd be glad to have some one and done. I mean, I carried you. Have you ever heard an Alabama coach make that comment? I don't think I have. Maybe they have. I missed it. But, but he's trying to yeah. emphasize the point that yeah. I've played in the NBA 15, 16 years. I've coached in the NBA. I understand how to develop players to reach that, that pinnacle of playing in the NBA. So I think there's an excitement that the, the players are familiar with him since he's been on the television. Uh, so – I think that the uh, hire was positive in that regard. I mean, they won the press conference. They've won the publicity, uh, you know, throughout the state. With that hire, when you have Ben Howland to the west, Bruce Pearl to the east, Barnes to the north, you had to do something to, to make a splash. Is it fair to say that the inability to convince Craig Marshall's wife was almost as big for Alabama basketball as the inability to convince Lee Rodriguez was for Alabama football. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a good uh, comparison, uh, Kerry. That that might be the case. Hopefully, that that's what everybody's wishing and praying at the University of Alabama, because as you know, they're starving for a winner. And Coleman Coliseum will sell out. They'll gladly buy the tickets, show up no matter what time the game is. You know, if they can have a chance to beat Arkansas and Tennessee and Auburn and Kentucky and and bring in some of these other teams, uh, you know, non-conference games, they'll sell that place out and it'll be loud. It'll be friendly to the fans. I'm, I'm sure they're going to come up with something innovative to um, entice people to come to games. The next thing is to get the talent. That's what Nick Saban. I mean, you you remember the old story that Nick Saban. Um, told the Mal Moore. Mal Moore has, uh, you know, I've, I've heard him say it many times. Once they were on the jet headed, headed to Tuscaloosa, 
Mal said, um, Nick Saban said to Mal Moore, um, you must think I'm a good coach. And Mal looked at him and said, well, hell yeah, I just gave you $40 million. <laughs> and then Nick Saban said, well, I must get players. Well, Avery Johnson, he's been hired at a high price, but he must get players. Well, I think he's shown that he can do that. The big emphasis is going to be AP and Drew both on the class of 17 because if you only sign four guys in your class of 17 and those four guys are Jamal Johnson, uh, Aubrey Wiley, John Petty, and who's the other Alex Reese. Oh, uh, Tell him if you even got three of those four, you got a great class. But Avery Johnson's going to try to get all four of them. And I realize that Wiley's going to be a tough pull since both parents played at Auburn. But uh, he's got time, guys. I, I, maybe he can't keep John Petty from going to Kentucky or Duke, but at least he's got time. Is what I'm trying to say. Well, and I'll interject, and AP can also comment, but I. I have a very optimistic view of him having a chance to get John Petty. I realize John is going to be heavily recruited, but I was very encouraged by what I heard the other day from what John said in an interview where he was quoted as saying that the, the schools recruiting him the hardest right now basically were Alabama, Auburn, and Michigan, and uh, excuse me, Mississippi State. And he talked about Alabama first, and he said he was very excited about Avery Johnson, and he said he was honored to be offered by Kentucky. But here's the deal. Kentucky offered Josh Langford, but they didn't sign him. He uh, he went on one official visit, guys. He uh, he'd been recruited since his freshman year by Dane Fife, who he had a very close personal relationship with, and I witnessed that uh, the the assistant at Michigan State, and then he had developed a great bond with Tom Izzo. And a lot of people thought when Kentucky swooped in that he might end up there, but it never happened. He took one visit to Michigan State. Uh, it was a three-day visit and decided to end the process. And he's, he's solidly committed. He's done. And now with John Petty, obviously he gets offered by Kentucky. But Avery Johnson's going to have just as long to recruit him as Kentucky is. And if Avery Johnson can turn the program around like AP's talking about and get the players and start winning and change the environment in Coleman Coliseum, his mama is going to want him closer to home if it can be possible. And so – the bottom line is, if you're just if you're two hours down the road in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, instead of and don't get me wrong, Kentucky is one of the great programs in America. But who's to say that John Calipari is going to be there in another year? So I think uh, that that that, uh, that Avery Johnson's got a very good chance to get John Petty. And if you get John Petty, I think of the four guys mentioned, Kerry, I think they have a very good chance. I, I'm already hearing Antoine Petway is in very strong position with Alex Reese's mother and father. And so I think they've got a very good chance at getting Mr. Reese. And Jamal Johnson, we all know who his father is. And he also happens to coach the AAU team they all play on. And with Wiley, uh, if Bruce Pearl moves on, as Kerry has talked about earlier in the show, to another institution and say uh, Alabama turns their program around and really starts winning, who's to say he couldn't shock the world and put together the Alabama version of the Fab Five, or at least the Fab Four. And yeah, he could. A, here's what scares me about that, Drew. If Bruce Pearl does go to Memphis, and I won't be shocked if he does after next season, but my fear then would be that Auburn would promote Chuck Person to head coach. And I think Chuck is either related to the Wileys or very good friends with him. It's going to be tough uh, with, the, with the Auburn ties, Kerry. By far of getting the four kids, uh, Wiley will be the toughest. 
plus with the the North Carolinas and the Dukes already interested. But, again, I think he's got a very good shot, though, at three of those guys. And so I think uh, the, the 2017 class could be one of the better ones in Alabama history. AP, final question for me. Uh, do you get the sense, as Drew and I do, that since Avery Johnson has come on board, that all of a sudden all this wonderful super PR from Bruce Pearl has kind of taken a back seat? Well, I think that maybe the light was, let's say, glowing across the state where now there's two lights and, and Tuscaloosa has its own. I think it's brighter because when I look in the media and listen to talk radio and all that, the brighter lights the one coming from Tuscaloosa these days for the first time in seven or eight years. Yeah, I could. I think I believe so. And you have, but you have to do something now that the light is shining on Tuscaloosa and Avery Johnson. He has to, uh, you know, take action and he has to succeed. That's what's going to count in the results. Yeah, there's no doubt. I agree with AP 100. percent And AP, obviously, you've followed the basketball program very, very closely, and always done a great job of following recruiting for BamaMag.com. And I know you saw all the, the, the Dante Halls, obviously uh, the, the Brandon Austins and Dazon Ingram in the Alabama-Mississippi game, and, of course, Lawson Schaefer as well, who's now going to walk on. I do think the class is a little underrated. I do think they've all got potential. I was really impressed with the progress Brandon Austin made as a senior. I think he can end up being a good player at Alabama. But I really like Dazon Ingram's potential. Uh, in the development he could get under Avery Johnson. But I really felt like, and this was on my opinion, and I'd like to know yours, you were there for the game, but I really thought Dante Hall uh, should have been the MVP and was outstanding. And I really think he's made a ton of progress and could be someone in another two to three years that could be a very, very fine player. Uh, Drew, I, I concur with you. The, the first play of the game that I remember, uh, Dante, he made a deep, three-pointer from the left corner. And I was saying, you know, I came to see this guy block shots and rebound, rebound, and the first thing he does was, was hit a tray from the deep in the left corner. So I was impressed right away. And, you know, he's not um, one of these tall, thin kids like, like, say, Roy Rogers when Roy came in about 200 pounds. He's got some weight on him. And you know he's in that first month or two over at Alabama, you're eating properly, you're lifting weight. You're going to put on 15 20 pounds, and he's going to get stronger, and he ha- he has uh, good hands, can rebound in defense. That's what I like the big guys able to do. And then the scoring is all going to be crazy. And, and Dazon Ingram, you know, very good player. I really enjoyed watching him. He gets to the rim. Uh, he was on the left wing, took two dribbles with his opposite hand and dumped it down the lane. It was, it was a great play, it was probably the best play of the All-Star Classic in, in Montgomery. And then uh, – uh, you know, the player from Montgomery, uh, Brandon, he, he's a spot shooter, can run the floor, athletic. So I think all three of those guys have skills that Avery Johnson will be able to utilize to help his team start winning again. Could not agree more, AP. And I uh, want to thank you for your time tonight. Before we let you go, though, getting back to our original topic with you, what would you suggest that our listeners do? Uh, to be able to help support the King Stable to the Hall of Fame initiative? Yeah, that, that's a good uh, question, uh, Kerry and Drew. You know, there's 46 voters. You can look them up on the Pro Football Hall of Fame website. Um, they're columnists and broadcasters throughout the country. You know, maybe you, uh, if, they're, if they have a radio show or something, you call in the radio show, maybe you, 
you send them a little email supporting Kenny's uh, candidacy. Those are some of the things, you know, I would suggest. And I would say to be very polite in your comments, not overbearing, but just say that you'd like to see Kenny considered because he, he does qualify and he does have the credentials to be a pro football Hall of Fame inductee. All right. Well, thank you for your time tonight, AP. Uh, we, we will definitely want to have you on this show again down the road a little bit. But, uh, again, thanks for your time. That's uh, AP Stedham, uh, BattleMag.com. First-time guest. Won't be the last time. Uh, BattleMag.com is uh, really representing here on BAMS Radio. But we're actually getting pretty close to closing time here. So, uh, Drew, any, any last words before we roll out? No, not none for me. Just it's going to be an interesting next few days to see ultimately uh, where Braxton Miller, you know, finishes his college career. Uh, I was, I'm 50-50 as to whether or not he goes back to Ohio State or comes to Alabama. So it's going to be really interesting to watch. And I want to thank AP for coming on. That was great stuff, basketball recruiting, and really, you know, awesome, awesome uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the aspect of Kenny Stabler. Uh, he talks to so many uh, with AP's connections and his ability to travel. He's able to, you know, touch base with so many uh, great pro football Hall of Famers and, and, and Hall of Fame sports writers uh, and just great people in the media. And that's just some great uh, content you don't you only get here on BAMS Radio. Uh, we really uh, – it was an honor to have him on, great interview. And when you have people, as he got close from Mel Blunt, uh, Donnie Shell, Terry Bradshaw, uh, and Dan Fouts, all these people that are talking about they should be the ones that ultimately decide if Kenny Stabler is a Hall of Famer. They're in – the uh, fraternity, if they believe Stake is a Hall of Fame football player, then he's a Hall of Fame football player. And, and uh, you hope some of the, the, the writers in the media will come around and vote Snake in because I don't think there's any doubt that uh, he deserves to be there. And with Steve Young being as good a football player as he was, for Terry Bradshaw to say that the Snake was the, the, the best left-handed quarterback of all time, that's saying something. It is, it is, and I, I, I've been swayed, especially when I looked up name and stats. So yeah, I don't know you used name of stats, Kerry. My fault on that, but uh, yeah, yeah, name of yeah, he, he his stats near the end of his career, uh, he struggled a little bit, and and again, he had to carry a lot of weight on his back, even with the Jets, and so his stats at some at certain points weren't the greatest, but he was a winner. Yeah, and I and I was on record as saying I don't believe just because you win one Super Bowl you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah. Back. But I will say that Kenny Stabler's career numbers that he put up and you know, the, the opinions of the guys that played against him and played with him should have some weight. And hopefully this is the year that he gets in. I think it would be great. I was absolutely thrilled when Derek Thomas got in. That also took way too long. But this is taking even longer. So uh, come on, voters. Let's let's get it make it happen this year. On that note, though, we're going to close out another edition of BAM's Radio. So for our producer in the studio, Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, for my co-host, Judy ESPN 97.7, The Zone in Huntsville. I am Terry Clark of BamaMag.com. We want to thank the AP Stedham for joining us as a guest. Big C. McGuire for calling in as a weekly caller. That is it for another edition of BAM's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Good night. Have a happy 4th of July. Be safe and roll tide, everybody. Roll tide and happy 4th of July, everybody. <laughs>